Hey, Billy, why don't we tell them what we're about, man? So we're here to welcome you to the Madhouse Chronicles. It's a talk show with myself, Billy Morrison. And me, and This man, Prince of Darkness, and we watch and react to the maddest internet clips. What do we discuss, Ozzy? Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, all that kind of shit. Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, and all that kinds of shit. Come and join Ozzy and myself. Visit OsborneMediaHouse.com to get special access to... Come to, on! What do you say? Do you think it's the wildest show on the internet? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the London Visited Podcast on your favourite podcast provider, bringing to you the facts, history and information about different parts of this great capital. If you have been to London, are planning on visiting, live here or just love London from afar, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Steve and welcome to our podcast. We're here for All Things London to tell you more behind some of the iconic places and people in London's history. In this episode, we go to the British Museum for part one of our series of podcasts on the museum. Don't forget to visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel, London Visited, to see videos covering this place and so many others across London. Also, if you love the podcast and the channel, why not join us as a member? Join on a group of what we'd like to call our London Visited Crown Jewels, where there are many different benefits, including a members-only monthly podcast. Have a look by going to patreon.com forward slash London Visited. And now to this week's podcast. The British Museum is a public museum dedicated to human history, art, culture, located in the Bloomsbury area of London. It's a permanent collection of 8 million works and is among the largest and most comprehensive in existence. It documents the story of human culture from its beginnings to the present. The British Museum was the first public national museum to cover all fields of knowledge. The museum was established in 1753, largely based on the collections of the Anglo-Irish physician and scientist Sir Hans Sloane. It first opened to the public in 1759 in Montague House, on the site of the current building. The museum's expansion over the following 250 years was largely as a result of British colonisation and has resulted in the creation of several branch institutions or independent spin-offs, the first being the Natural History Museum in 1881. In 1973, the British Library Act of 1972 detached the library department from the British Museum, but it continued to host the now-separated British Library in the same reading room and building as the museum until 1997. The museum is a non-departmental public body sponsored by the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport. And as with all national museums in the UK, it charges no admission fee except for loan exhibitions. Its ownership of a small percentage of its most famous objects originating in other countries is disputed and remains the subject of international controversy throughout repatriation claims, most notably the case of the Elgin Marbles of Greece and the Rosetta Stone of Egypt. Although today principally a museum of cultural objects and antiquities, the British Museum was founded as a universal museum. Its foundations lie in the will of the Anglo-Irish physician and naturalist Sir Hans Sloane born in 1660 and died in 1753, a London-based doctor and a scientist from Ulster. During the course of his lifetime, and particularly after he married the widow of a wealthy Jamaican planter, Sloane gathered a large collection of curiosities, and not wishing to see his collection broken up after his death, he bequeathed it to King George II for the nation for a sum of £20,000. At that time, Sloane's collection consisted of around 71,000 objects of all kinds, including some 40,000 printed books, 7,000 manuscripts, extensive natural history specimens, including 337 volumes of dried plants, prints and drawings including those by Ettrick Dürer and the antiquities from Sudan, Egypt, Greece, Rome, 
and ancient Nia and the far east of the Americas. On the 7th of June 1753, King George II gave his royal assent to the Act of Parliament which established the British Museum. The British Museum Act of 1753 also added two other libraries to the Sloan collection, namely the Cottonian Library assembled by Sir Robert Cotton, dating back to Elizabethan times, and the Herodian Library, the collection of the Earls of Oxford. They were joined in 1753 by the Old Royal Library, now the Royal Manuscripts, assembled by various British monarchs. Together, these four foundation collections included many of the most treasure books now in the British Library, including the Lindisfarne Gospels and the sole surviving manuscript of Beowulf. The British Museum was the first of a new kind of museum, national, belonging to neither church nor king, freely open to the public and aiming to collect everything. Sloane's collection, whilst including a vast miscellany of objects, tended to reflect his scientific interests. The addition of the Cotton and Harley manuscripts introduced a literary and antiquarian element and meant that the British Museum now became both National Museum and Library. The body of trustees decided on a converted 17th century mansion, Montague House, as the location for the museum, which it bought from the Montague family for £20,000. The trustees rejected Buckingham House, which was later converted into the present-day Buckingham Palace on the grounds of cost and the unsuitability of its location. With the acquisition of Montague House, the first exhibition galleries and reading room for scholars opened on the 15th of January 1759. At this time, the largest parts of the collection were the library, which took up the majority of the rooms on the ground floor of Montague House, and the natural history objects, which took up an entire wing on the second state story of the building. In 1763, the trustees of the British Museum, under the influence of Peter Collinson and William Watson, employed the former student of Carl Linnaeus, Daniel Solander, to reclassify the natural history collection according to the Linnaean system thereby making the museum a public centre of learning accessible to the full range of European natural historians. In 1823, King George IV gave the King's Library assembled by George III, and Parliament gave the right to a copy of every book published in the country, thereby ensuring that the museum's library would expand indefinitely. During the few years after its foundation, the British Museum received several further gifts, including the Thomason Collection of Civil War Tracts and David Garrick's Library of 1,000 printed plays. The predominance of natural history, books and manuscripts began to lessen when, in 1772, the museum acquired, for £8,410, its first significant antiquities in Sir William Hamilton's first collection of Greek vases. From 1778, a display of objects from the South Seas, brought back from the round-the-world voyages of Captain James Cook and the travels of other explorers, fascinated visitors with a glimpse of previously unknown lands, the bequest of a collection of books, engraved gems, coins, Prints and drawings by Clayton Murad Korchard in 1800 did much to raise the museum's reputation, but Montague House became increasingly crowded and decrepit, and it was apparent that it would be unable to cope with further expansion. The museum's first notable addition towards its collection of antiquities since its foundation was by Sir William Hamilton, British ambassador to Naples, who sold his collection of Greek and Roman artifacts to the museum in 1784, together with a number of other antiquities and natural history specimens. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual. 
because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Hey, Mike. Glad you could join me for some great seafood. Me too. Wait, why are you dressed in fishing gear? You said we were going out to catch great seafood, right? Yes, to Popeye's. Do you even know how to fish? No, I thought you did. Oh, yeah. I could catch pretty good seafood at Popeye's. Let's go. Let Popeye's do the fishing while you enjoy our delicious signature seafood. Get Popeye's flounder fish sandwich or shrimp tackle box before they're gone. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. A list of donations to the museum, dated the 31st of January 1784, refers to the Hamilton bequest of a colossal foot of an Apollo in marble. It was one of two antiquities of Hamilton's collection drawn for him by a pupil of Pietro Fabre, who also contributed a number of drawings of Mount Vesuvius sent by Hamilton to the Royal Society in London. In the early 19th century, the foundations for the extensive collection of sculpture began to be laid and Greek, Roman and Egyptian artifacts dominated the antiquities displays. After the defeat of the French campaign and the Battle of the Nile in 1801, the British Museum acquired more Egyptian sculptures. And in 1802, King George III presented the Rosetta Stone, key to the deciphering of hieroglyphs. Gifts and purchases from Henry Salt, British Council General in Egypt, beginning with the colossal bust of Ramesses II in 1818, laid the foundations of the collection of Egyptian monumental sculpture. Many Greek sculptures followed notably the first purpose-built exhibition space, the Charles Townley Collection, much of it Roman sculpture in 1805. In 1806, Thomas Bruce, 7th Earl of Elgin, ambassador to the Ottoman Empire from 1799 to 1803, removed a large collection of marble sculptures from the Parthenon on the Acropolis in Athens and transferred them to the UK. In 1806, these masterpieces of Western art were acquired by the British Museum by an Act of Parliament and deposited in the museum thereafter. In 1802, a buildings committee was set up to plan for the expansion of the museum and further highlighted by its donation in 1822 by the King's Library, personal library of King George III, comprising of 65,000 volumes, 19,000 pamphlets, maps, charts and topographical drawings. The neoclassical architect, Sir Robert Smirk, was asked to draw up plans for an eastern extension to the museum, for the reception of the Royal Library and a picture gallery over it and put forward plans for today's quadrangular building, much of which can be seen today. The dilapidated old Montague house was demolished and work on the King's Library Gallery began in 1823. The extension, the East Wing, was completed by 1831. However, following the founding of the National Gallery in London in 1824, the proposed picture gallery was no longer needed and the space on the upper floor was given over to the natural history collections. The first synopsis of the British Museum was published in 1808 this described the contents of the museum and the display of objects room by room, and the updated editions were published every few years. As Sir Robert Smoke's grand neoclassical building gradually arose, the museum became a construction site. The King's Library on the ground floor of the East Wing was handed over in 1827 and was described as one of the finest rooms in London. Although it's not fully open to the general public until 1857, special openings were arranged during the Great Exhibition of 1851. In 1840, the museum became involved in the first overseas excavations. Charles Fellow's expedition to Xanthos in Asia Minor 
whence came the remains of the tombs of the rulers. In 1857, Charles Newton was to discover the 4th century BC Mausoleum of the Harkonarchos, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Sir Thomas Grenville, a trustee of the British Museum from 1830, assembled a library of 20,240 volumes, which he left to the museum in his will. The books arrived in January 1847 in 21 horse-drawn vans. The only vacant space for this large library was a room originally intended for manuscripts between the front entrance hall and the manuscript salon. The books remained there until the British Library moved to St Pancras in 1994. The opening of the forecourt in 1852 marked the completion of Robert Smirk's 1823 plan, but already adjustments were having to be made to cope with the unforeseen growth of the collections. Infill galleries were constructed for Assyrian sculptures and Sidney Smirk's round reading room with space for a million books opened in 1857. Because of continued pressure on space, the decision was taken to move the natural history to a new building in South Kensington, which would later become the British Museum of Natural History. Roughly contemporary with the construction of the new building was the career of a man sometimes called the second founder of the British Museum, the Italian librarian Anthony Panazzi. Under his supervision, the British Museum Library, now part of the British Library, quintupled in size and became a well-known organised institution worthy of being called a national library, the largest library in the world after the National Library of Paris. The quadrangle at the centre of Smirk's design proved to be a waste of valuable space and was filled at Pazzini's request by a circular reading room of cast iron, designed by Smirk's brother, Sidney Smirk. Until the mid-19th century, the museum's collections were relatively circumscribed, but in 1851, with the appointment to the staff of Augustus Wallenstein Franks to curate the collections, the museum began for the first time to collect British and European medieval antiquities, prehistory branching out into Asia and diversifying its holdings of ethnography. A real coup for the museum was the purchase in 1867, over French objections, of the Duke of Balker's wide-ranging and valuable collection of antiquities. The natural history collections were an integral part of the British Museum until their removal to the new British Museum of National History in 1887, nowadays the Natural History Museum. With the departure and completion of the new White Wing, formerly Montague Street in 1884, more space was available for antiquities and ethnology, and the library could further expand. This was a time of innovation as electric lighting was introduced into the reading room and exhibition galleries. The William Burge collection of armoury was bequeathed to the museum in 1881. In 1882, the museum was involved in the establishment of the Independent Egypt Exploration Fund, now Society, the first British body to carry out research in Egypt. A bequest from Miss Emma Turner in 1892 financed excavations in Cyprus. In 1897, the death of the great Claytera and curator A.W. Franks was followed by an immense bequest of 3,300 finger rings, 153 drinking vessels, 512 pieces of continental porcelain, 1,500 netsuk, 850 inro, over 30,000 book plates and miscellaneous items of jewellery and plate, among them the Oxus treasure. In 1898, Baron Ferdinand de Rothschild bequeathed the Waddesdon bequest, a glittering content from his new smoking room at Waddesdon Manor. This consisted of almost 300 pieces of object or art, which included exquisite examples of jewellery, plate, enamel carvings, glass. Among them the Holy Thorn Reclory, probably created in the 1930s in Paris for John, Duke of Berry. Baron Ferdinand's will was most specific and failure to observe the terms would make it void. The collection should be placed in a special room to be called the Waddesdon Bequest Room, separate and apart from other contents of the museum, and thenceforth, and forever after, keep the same in such room or in such other room for it to be substituted for it. 
These terms are still observed and the collection occupies room 2A. So I hope you've enjoyed our first part look at the British Museum. In our next episode, we'll be bringing it more up to date as the museum expands even further to bring us to now. If you'd like to make contact with us or suggest any places you'd like us to feature in future podcasts, you can let me know through our website, londonvisited.co.uk or via our social media. It's that easy. Thanks for listening and really hope you enjoy our podcast and we'll see you soon on the next one. Bye. Thanks for listening and please don't forget to subscribe to get more shows direct to your device. Also, why not visit our London Visited YouTube channel to get even more of London. Catch you soon on the next one. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.